Good morning. It's so good to see so many familiar faces. It's so good to be back in this space. It'd been a, well, I'd forgotten just how uncomfortable these seats are up here. Is that to keep us alert? Okay. Wow. Um, the scripture reading, the second reading for today, is actually from Hebrews 11 rather than the Psalms, and I take full responsibility for the miscommunication. I'm going to read some excerpts from Hebrews chapters 11 and 12, and I ask you to listen for the Word of God as it's proclaimed by the author to the, of the epistle to the Hebrews. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions, the conviction of things not seen. Indeed, by faith our ancestors received approval. By faith we understand that the word, worlds were prepared by the word of God so that it was so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. By faith, Noah, warned by God about events as yet unseen, respected the warning and built an ark to save his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir to the righteousness that is in accordance with faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to set out for a place that we, he was to receive as an inheritance. And he set out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he stayed for a time in the land he had been promised, as in a foreign land, living in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, Moses was hidden by his parents for three months after his birth because they saw that the child was beautiful. And they were not afraid of the king's edict, by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called a son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to share ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. And what more should I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched raging fire, escaped the edge of the sword, won strength out of weakness, became mighty in war, put, former, put foreign armies to flight. Yet all these, though they are commended for their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better so that they would not, apart from us, be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. The Word of God. As David said, today we're continuing our exploration of the fruit of the Spirit described in Galatians and trying to get a taste today for a spiritual fruit that Paul calls pistis. This is the word translated faithfulness in Galatians 5, in Galatians 5's cornucopia of Christian values. 
It's a pretty common New Testament word, actually. It occurs 36 times. Here are a few examples. In the Gospels, after he heals someone, Jesus will say to them, Your pistis has made you well. When Paul writes to one of the churches that he has founded, he says, Your pistis is proclaimed throughout the world. And when James is concerned that some in the Christian community are more talk than walk, he points out that their pistis without works is dead. In all these examples that I've mentioned, pistis is rendered in English as faith. But when Paul is naming the fruit of the Spirit, for some reason, pistis is rendered as faithfulness. Why is this? I think translators have assumed that we need a different word for the sort of faith that grows on trees. A faith that originates in God's spirit rather than in the human heart. In any case, the fact that faith is used in so many ways in the New Testament is a little bewildering. Perhaps we can set some limits to what faith is by talking about what faith is not. So let's take some stabs at that. For starters, I would say with some confidence, faith is not a promise of divine favor, a supernatural cone of protection for believers. I was disabused of this particular misunderstanding of faith in my 20s, and I clearly remember the moment when it happened. I had grown close to one of my seminary professors. We had a lot in common, including the fact that we were both avid runners, and we became running buddies. In early 1987, there was a civil rights march in a small town north of Atlanta that had a long history of racial terror. And let's just say the people that went there to march were not well received. As I watched news footage of marchers being pelted by rocks and bottles, join those who would return the next weekend. So on our weekly run, I raised a question for my theology professor. I said, George, if I join this march this coming weekend, will God protect me? And his response was, sure, but that doesn't mean you're not going to die. I'm reminded of those words every time we read the briefs. When we recite the line, in life and death we belong to God, I can hear George in the back of my mind saying, yeah, but that doesn't mean you're not going to die. So faith is certainly not a a promise of protection from all mortal ills. Second, it's not, and this is surprising, I think, for many of us, it's not a synonym for belief, although we use it that way. This is clear, by the way, in our book of Confessions, which clearly defines saving faith as a gift of God, given by God of his grace. If You can take my word for it, or you can check your own copy of the Book of Confessions when you go home, but all the way through our confessions, it's very clear that faith is not something that we conjure. It's something that is given to us. And this emphasis on faith is really just a restatement of Paul's message in Ephesians 2, where he says, By grace you have been saved through faith, comma, which is a gift of God. This idea that faith that saves us uh, is God's gift to us rather than our gift to God provides a hint about how faith can be a fruit of the Spirit. 
But we, before we explore that hint, can we just take a minute to acknowledge together what a relief it is that faith is not the same as belief? As I'm sure you know, belief can be a very fickle thing. It ebbs and flows depending on the season, depending on the day, sometimes, if you're like me, depending on the hour. What a comfort to know that our relationship to God is not determined by something as unstable as the faith-to-doubt ratio in our minds at any given moment. So back to what faith is not. According to Hebrews, passage we've just read, faith is not a description of one's moral character, although we often talk as if it were. We say someone is a person of faith, and by that we mean they're upstanding, they're trustworthy, maybe even electable. But if we study our faithful ancestors, the ones celebrated in Hebrews 11, it's pretty clear that being a person of faith is no guarantee of good behavior. To prove the point, let's review a handful of examples from the Faith Hall of Fame in Hebrews 11. We read that by faith Noah built an ark to save his household, but we don't read that shortly after the flood he got drunk, passed out naked, and then blamed the whole episode on one of his sons. We read that by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called and set out for the Promised Land. But we don't read that shortly afterward he pawned his wife Sarah off as his sister twice to save his own skin. We read that by faith Moses chose to share ill treatment with the people of God rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. We don't read that Moses killed an Egyptian, hid his body in the sand, and fled the crime scene. The author of Hebrews passes very quickly, you might have noticed, over a few, quote, men of faith like Samson, Jephthah, and David. Perhaps so that we wouldn't be asking questions like this. Samson, isn't that the guy that visited prostitutes, engaged in revenge killings, and took out 3,000 Philistines on his way out of this life? Jephthah, is that the same Jephthah that made a foolish vow that required him to sacrifice his daughter? David, isn't that the dude who committed adultery with Bathsheba, used her husband Uriah to try to cover up the ensuing pregnancy, and then conspired to murder him when that didn't work? I'll stop there, but you get the point. These men of faith would not be allowed to volunteer for our youth group. <laughs> and yet here they are, held up as paragons of pistis, as superheroes of faith. So let's review. Faith's not an insurance policy. It's not a synonym for belief. It's not a promise of moral respectability. And yet it's something that, along with these other qualities, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, gentleness, and self-control is a natural product of the Christian life in the same way that fruit is a natural product of certain plants. So how is faith like fruit? Just take a moment and engage in a little thought experiment. If you will, imagine your favorite fruit and think about perhaps how it became your favorite fruit. And while you do that, I'll tell my own story about my favorite fruit. I grew up on a barrier island off the coast of Miami called Key Biscayne. And it's hard to grow proper trees in the subtropics. And so we had exactly one tree in our yard. I remember this because I was the one who cut the grass. 
And actually, this tree was more like a bush. It produced this small, very thick-skinned, yellowish-green fruit that did not look very appealing and to which I didn't pay much attention until the girl next door, her name was Marissa, started taking the fruit from our tree and transforming it into something magical called key lime pie. She sold these key lime pies for a dollar and my friends, and I quickly developed a pretty serious key lime pie habit, which I supported with the proceeds from my lawn business. Based on this early exposure, I became what, what I like to call a key lime pie expert, what, what my family would probably call a key lime pie, pie snob. As they'll tell you, whenever we're out, especially if we're visiting my parents in South Florida and I uh, want to eat key lime pie, if someone tries to serve me key lime pie made with Persian limes, I'm on to them immediately. And if someone ever offers me lemon meringue pie, well, just don't ever offer me lemon meringue pie. I hope that while I've been describing my affection for key limes, you've been conjuring pleasant memories of your own favorite fruit, whatever it happens to be, whether it's delicious red apples, sorry, red delicious apples, I want to make, it, make sure I get that right, ladyfinger bananas, mirabelle plums, hardy kiwi fruit, or something more exotic like aki or dragon fruit. They all have their attractions, and I'm sure you could spell them out. More importantly, they all have a few things in common. You can't produce these fruit in a lab or in a factory. You can't rush their natural growth process, whatever that is. And you can't grow them at all without the proper soil and weather. And all of these things would seem to be true as well of the fruit of the spirit, of whatever variety. You can't manufacture love, joy, or peace through your own efforts anymore and you can make oranges or grapefruit without well-cared-for citrus trees. And you can't produce patience, kindness, and generosity by yourself any more than you can harvest berries or melons from backyard weeds. On the other hand, when fruit-producing plants are properly cared for and when they're deeply rooted, no outside effort is required. In fact, the less we do, the better until the fruit magically appear in their season. Money may not grow on trees, but if Paul is right, it seems like faith does. When we're planted in the right soil and exposed to the right conditions, faith and other fruit of the Spirit grow even when we're not paying attention. Paul says we can ensure a good spiritual harvest by what he, said, what he calls living in the Spirit. And I realize that sounds a bit charismatic. But in fact, we shouldn't let this language make us skittish. The proof is in the pie, as they say. If we are yielding spiritual fruit, we can be confident that we are being fed and led by the Spirit. This nourishment can take place in a lot of ways. In the church community, whether you're participating in worship, teaching Sunday school, coaching a sports team, serving on a committee, but also, the Spirit is not confined to church walls as we know. Let me share an example of how the Spirit can guide us to unexpected places. 
In June, I was at the West Tennessee State Penitentiary for a clemency hearing for a woman named Octavia Cartwright, who's one of the students in the Rhodes Liberal Arts and Prison Program, which I lead. In 1999, at the age of 19, Octavia was charged with aggravated assault and kidnapping for her part in a home invasion here in Memphis. In exchange for a guilty plea, the DA offered her a 25-year sentence. But because her co-defendant had admitted to being the main perpetrator of the crime, and because she was 19, she decided she could do better. So she went on trial, was convicted, and sentenced to 91 years in prison. And yes, you heard that correctly, 91 years. So Octavia would spend the rest of her life in prison for her part in a non-lethal crime committed when she was 19. 22 years later, in 2021, in response to advocacy on her behalf by people across the nation who are as outraged by her sentence as I hope you are, Octavia was granted a clemency hearing before the Tennessee Board of Parole. And I was invited to testify on her behalf to make a long story short, the board recommended that the governor reduce Octavia's sentence by at least 60 years. So afterwards, the mood was quite exuberant, as I, and as I mingled with Octavia's supporters, I was invited to join a large prayer circle. This included family members, friends, and even corrections office, officers. And mind you, this was not a Presbyterian prayer circle, if there even is such a thing. For starters, strangers were holding hands. I honestly, I don't even know if that's hygienic, but certainly something we don't do here very often. Also, several people were speaking at once, if you can imagine it. People saying, yes, Lord, and thank you, Jesus, while someone else was trying to speak. And the whole thing was very public. I think it's fair to say it was not done decently and in order. But I was a sport, and I joined in. And the next time I saw Octavia, she asked if she could speak with me in private. So when the room cleared out, she said, hey, Professor Haynes, do you remember last week after the hearing when we had that prayer circle? <laughs> I said, I think so, yeah. She said, I noticed you had your eyes closed. Were you praying? When I said yes, she said, oh, I didn't realize you were a person of faith. All I thought to say in the moment was, Octavia, why were your eyes open during the prayer circle? But what I really wanted to say, what I thought of as I was driving home, is I should have said, Octavia, I don't come up here because I'm a good person. I come because our system of mass incarceration is unjust, and my faith tells me that God cares deeply about injustice. My faith is fed by the rich soil of worship, fellowship, and mutual support that I have found in this place for many years, not to mention the graceful shade of prayer and meditation that I try to maintain on my own. Without these, I would not have been standing in that very un-Presbyterian prayer circle. In fact, I never would have been guided to the prison in the first place. We have all felt called to such places. But the faith that sends us cannot thrive if our roots aren't firmly planted in a spiritual environment that's committed to our flourishing. In fact, if it's not rooted in the soil of the Spirit, eventually the most fervent faith will dry up 
wither and fall to the ground. Paul seemed to understand this about the fruit that is faith when he instructed the Galatians to live by the Spirit. May we learn to live that way as well. Amen.